And we're going to talk about thin places. And for some of you, this is going to be a hard road for a while. And we'll talk about why in just a moment. First of all, thank you. Yes, we were away for a couple of weeks. Uh, we, were, we, we take a cruise to get away, and so we were, we were on a cruise. We thought about you every... When we got back... Um, <laughs> And Cammie said, oh, it's Sunday. Aren't we supposed to be somewhere? We, one time we took 90-something people with us on a cruise. We want to take about 200 from 4th Avenue. We think we could really change the culture of a ship if we're all there. So uh, I, we are actually talking to Royal Caribbean right now about that. We'll let you know about that. And if those of you that like to come, that we would love to have you with us. Uh, we don't have 200 people picked out. We just, we'll throw it out there. Uh, and, and bring, you know, there are activities for children. You know, I had people say, won't they fall overboard? Happens all the time. Um, all the time. That's why you read about it in the newspaper. It never happens, people. So you'll be fine. Here's why this thin places could be a hard road for some of us. We have grown up in the West, in the Western culture. There is a hard dividing line in the Western culture between the physical and the spiritual. Did not used to be this way. Even in the West, Western Europe and then coming to the States, there was a time where your days were marked by spiritual moments. There were the bells. When the bells rang, there were certain prayers throughout the day. There were certain activities throughout the day. Saints' days and holy days filled the calendar. Those days are gone now. And people have made a division. And they go see Jesus on Sunday. And they love Jesus through the week. Now, I'm not being insulting here. Um, they love him through the week, but they really visit him on a Sunday. And they don't know the concept of thin places. And it all started with a Frenchman, Rene Descartes, who had a lot more influence on you than you'll ever realize. He was the first to push and build a huge philosophy around dualism. Not There are two forms of dualism. This is not the evil and good dualism, but rather spiritual and physical. He considered your soul the same as your mind. And so he believed that these were two separate things, your soul and mind on one side, and everything physical on the other, we still tend to speak of the spiritual as distinct from the physical. We separate them. Even C.S. Lewis, who has had more influence over me than perhaps any other single writer, would say we are not physical beings having a spiritual moment, but we are spiritual beings having a physical moment. And I would even quibble with that. And I don't quibble easily, and I rarely would want to quibble with anybody, but I would say, if you are having a physical moment, you are also having a spiritual moment because the two are not separate. And that is very, very hard for Westerners to get. The Gnostics also believe this, and I'm not gonna to try to define Gnosticism because none of us has that kind of time or patience. It was very complex. Basically, most forms of Gnosticism said what the body did does not affect the soul, and what the soul does does not affect the body. 
And there were two different kinds in Maine of the, the Gnostics. One so that you could eat, drink whatever you wanted to. You could uh, do whatever you wanted to with your body, including sex or destruction or pain to it. And that was fine because as long as your spirit was good, the body does not have any real issue. The others thought your body is evil, your spirit is good, therefore live punishing your body. And they were very aesthetic. They would uh, not eat well. They would treat their bodies poorly. The Bible looks at both of these and shakes its head. Paul said, what you do with your body has profound spiritual implications. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, do, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? I want to stop, hold the slide. I want to think about this. When I was a boy, most of you would be like this as well. Religion and church was something we got to go to, and we got to do this right so that one day when our physical bodies die and the physical planet is burned up, we, our spiritual bodies, get to go to a spiritual place. Does that sound familiar? I think that's what most of us were told. Paul is saying, you right now are a part of Jesus. You are not separate from him. Your bodies are members of Christ himself. Shall I then take the members of Christ, your body, and unite that with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Is, is, is. Doesn't say will be, one day, could be, if you're good. You're already there. There is a big country song. I don't listen to much country music because it wasn't part of my, my, my culture. I'm not anti-country music. But I remember one song that was brought to my attention a few years ago about a man on the road missing his family saying, I'm already there. That concept of we are here, but we are there in reality, not just in our mind, we are there as well, is something that permeates Scripture and is so hard for us. Your body and your soul are interconnected, according to Paul. What you do with this body profoundly affects what you do with your spirit and the condition of your spirit. Not just, well, if you sin with your body, there's a stain on your spirit. No, it changes the spirit. What you experience and commit to spiritually has a profound effect upon the physical. All of us have seen people, do not point, all of us have seen people that are wizened by time, wrinkles, bent over, osteoporosis perhaps, racked with the pains that one gets at certain ages, and yet when we looked at them, all we saw was sunshine and glow. Why? Their body looks bad, but their spirit changes the way you look at their body. And when you walk in that room, you're encouraged by that person. How many of us have ever gone to the hospital to encourage somebody, and we were encouraged more than they were? Their spirit is affecting their body. Jesus would sometimes tell people, change your thoughts 
then change your life. Other times, change your life, then change your thoughts. And people once asked me, we were studying the psychology of Jesus, and they said, wasn't he inconsistent? And I said, no, because the one is the same as the other. We are not physical. We are not spiritual. We are physical and spiritual at the same time. The Celts had a long belief in something called thin places. If you Google that two-word phrase, you'll find some amazing articles and a lot of good information about the concept of the separation of physical and spiritual and how thin it is and how in some places when you walk there, the border ceases to exist. Even an atheist once wrote of the holy island of Iona. Uh, I won't go into all the history of it. It's a very tiny island off the west coast of the island of Mole, which is off the west coast of Scotland. It's where Columba first landed with his team to reach the, the mad and pagan Celts and Pecks and Jutes and Angles of Scotland. When that, you go to that island to this very day. He said, it would take an evil hard man not to feel the spiritual in that place. There's something holy there. The Celts used to teach that the physical separation from the spiritual is three feet. Now, Celts are not very literal, and they don't mean it's three feet. It's kind of like when I was a boy, we would sometimes be sent to a Christian camp and you, know, you have Christian camps here, and there's a meeting, I think, soon here. Um, and one of the rules was the boys and girls could not get closer than four inches. So one of the first things the boys and girls did was find a stick and measure it. And they would hold both ends of it, and they were four inches away. And that's very legalistic and, and literal and very sad, frankly. That's not what the Celts are saying. What they're saying is, it is closer to you than you realize. I have a book called the Carmina de Gaedelica, which is the, the Celtic prayers, uh, the, and mainly in Gaelic, of the, the, um, the Christians in those northern reaches. You are shocked as you go through. In fact, it can get even mind-numbing after a while, all of the prayers. They have a prayer when they wake up in the morning, a prayer when they draw the curtains back and the first light enters the room. There's a prayer when you light the fire. There's a prayer when you bank the fire at night. There's a prayer when you're making the bread. There's a prayer when you're milking the cow because everything is spiritual. Everything. Jesus is wrapped up in everything. I believe the distance is much closer than three feet. And the Bible is full of stories illustrating this. We're going to look at a few. This is a series. We're going, to, we're going to unfold this as we go. This is not Patrick just doing some Scottish Celtic thing. No, this is Scripture. For example, in 2 Kings chapter 6, we're given a glimpse of a thin place. The king of Aram, Aram it looks like, uh, Aram was trying to kill the king of Israel and not being successful. He, he had more men, and they were better equipped and better trained than anybody in Israel. There is no question, even in archaeology, we know this. And so he would muster his troops and get them ready to waylay and kill the king of Israel whenever he would go on this path. But every time they showed up to ambush him, the king of Israel was somewhere else. They'd get intelligence and said, he's going to be here, and he wasn't. 
He's going to be here. And he wasn't. And they kept trying to find him. And he's frustrated. So he calls all of his prophets in. And he says, why can't I kill this guy? And the generals and prophets agree. They say, he has a prophet. And that prophet tells him where you are and what you intend to do. So he's just somewhere else. So he goes, oh, well, we better kill the prophet. Now, those of you that have a brain and are already three sentences ahead, see the flaw in this plan. If the prophet was able to tell when he was going after the king, the odds are he would know when he was going after the prophet. But you're going to find out this in your life. Evil is stupid. It really is. And, and people who do evil end up hurting themselves. And all of us can look around saying, we should have seen that coming, but we hurt ourselves. So he, he musters his troops. We're going after the prophet. So in 2 Kings chapter 6, the story unfolds. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel. None of us, my lord the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go, find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He's in Dothan. That's not Alabama. That's a different place. <clears throat> then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who with, are with us are more than those who are with them. Another translation says, those that are with us are greater than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Oh, my goodness. There's so much more I'd like to say. But let's, let's skip forward a couple verses. Let's go ahead and get to 15 to 17 there. Uh, we, yeah, servant, he got up. I want you to look at what happens here. He doesn't pray, Lord, send your angels. He doesn't pray, God, help us. Do an action, God. Do something to protect us. That's where we go. We pray that prayer, as we, and, and I'm not opposed to that prayer, but I want you to notice something. He didn't say send angels or do something. He said, reveal to my servant what's already there. The angels didn't show up that morning. They were already there. The chariots of fire were not lit and sent that morning. They were already there. Brothers and sisters, the eye of faith has to learn to see what those of us locked in the physical world are not seeing. They are here. They are in the room. They are around you. It boggles my mind the number of people when they hear something in politics or in crime or in, in illness, and their first response is fear. No. We didn't get here alone, and we're not alone. We don't have to ask God to send them. They're here. 
Think about Balaam and that lovely story about a donkey. It's hilarious. A prophet, the donkey, a prophet, and an angel walked into it. It's a great story. <laughs> the angel was already there before Balaam saw him. He was already directing where the donkey went. He was already choosing what to do before Balaam ever noticed him. He didn't show up. He was there. And then Daniel in chapter 10, when the angel got to him after finally, after 21 days, he explained that there's a massive worldwide, world-encompassing war going on. Daniel chapter 10, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed. Boy, wouldn't you love to hear that? Here's the thing. You are. You already are. I know you think you're the exception. No, you're not. If you colored something this morning, it's on God's refrigerator. He loves you. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up, for I've now been sent to you. Then he said this to me. I stood up trembling, and he said, do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I've come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom, that's a demon, resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, whew, that's powerhouse, one of the chief princes came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. In other words, there's a war going on, Daniel. So he said, do you know why I've come to you? Soon I'll return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go, the prince of Greece will come. In other words, more trouble's coming. This had not been conjured up by Daniel's prayer. It was already going on. The arrival of this particular angel to explain this particular predicament, yes, that came in a result of prayer. And Daniel had to pray over 20 days before that could happen because the angel had to get places. He had to do things. It's real. The movement is real. They are around us. When David's three friends were tossed into the fiery furnace, do you remember what happened? When they looked in, they said, There's, there are four walking around in there, and the fourth one looks like a son of God. A phrase, a common phrase in that time to mean either a God, a spirit, an angel, or an emissary from the gods. When I was a boy, I thought they threw them in, and then an angel appeared and saved them. I don't believe that anymore. I believe the same angel that was walking with them went in with them, and that's why they were not harmed. He was already there. He didn't show up then. He was already there. When Peter makes his way across the city after a jailbreak, only to be denied entry by the maid. I just love that story. Here he is. He's wanted by the Roman authorities. They're already going to kill him. Now he's made jailbreak on top of it. Oh, my goodness. And the angel gets him out of the prison and then leaves him. You'd think. He doesn't see him anymore. Now Peter has to work his way through the city where he's a wanted fugitive. And he finally finds the house where the Christians are. He knocks on the door and the maid named Rhoda comes and she looks through and she doesn't open the door. She just goes and tells everybody, he's here. And they say, no, he isn't. 
interesting that they would assume the maid was just going to make that up. They said, no, you're just confused. You see his angel. Yeah, they believed all of us have at least one angel that walks with us, that helps us. I cannot count the number of times I almost had a tragedy. How about you? With your children. How about that? They were hit here, 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 but not right there. You know, and, and you might say, but I've had tragedies. Yes, you have. Absolutely. How many of you not had? And there are a lot of them. When you finally find your keys, you get on the road and you're a bit late and the traffic's all fouled up because there was a great accident and you would have been in it. We're not alone. Don't act like we are. You got backup. You're strong. You're good. Peter was in a thin place. The angel was already there. Peter's story is why I've never... That's Acts 12, if you want to look it up. I've never been really comfortable asking God to open doors of opportunity. Have you heard that in the phrases and prayers? Again, I need to stress... Just because I'm not comfortable with it doesn't mean that I'm denigrating the phrase or that you did something wrong when you prayed that. Please. The reason I pull back from it is because thin places. I believe the doors are open. We don't have to ask for that. What we need to say is, Father, help me to see what you see. Help me to see with your eyes, not mine. I need to see what you see. And all of this brings a Jesus story to mind. I'm always about Jesus stories. Remember that time when the followers of Jesus were trying to get the kids to settle down and be quiet because it's church now? I, we still do that. We take kids out because they're making a noise. And, and I understand if they're making too much noise for people to hear, fine. That's all right. I'll never... Never, Cammie and I, uh, we, we, we know this kid uh, in her church whenever we were dating back in the day. There was a kid who always got taken out. He wasn't too shy about it either. One time as he was going out, he yelled, y'all pray for me. He really did. <laughs> it was brilliant. <clears throat> Another time, the whole way out, help, help. I don't know where that kid is, but I keep expecting to see him on the news. <laughs> Back in the day, there wasn't a place for the kids. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. Interrupt worship. I loved that this morning, didn't you? Then That little lad can have my job in five minutes. It'll be all right as well. But I want you to note Jesus' response. Now, many of you already know the response do not run ahead of me here. You've got to look at verbs and tenses and phrasing. It's very important. Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 4, and then we'll skip forward just a bit. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and, and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Look at the phrasing, not who will be when all is done. Who is right now greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him. Now, the child's not dead. The child is living. And placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes 
the lowly position. Look at verse 4. This is really interesting. Whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. I'm not going to heaven. I'm there. I carry it with me. I need to be a preview of heaven to the people I meet. That's a struggle. We're on a cruise ship. There are a lot of people. You don't get between them and the buffet. <laughs> We've not been on a cruise ship this before with this many little scooter carts. And it, it was, you could almost hear also, also Spock Zarathustra, the, the theme st- uh, song for 2001. You know, the ride of the Valkyries. How's that? As they come down, come, step back. Step back. Be good to them. We, we dodged a few times because we'd be in, a, in an elevator and they didn't know how to handle it yet. And they shoot right in there. Our job is not to go, well, that's a reference. Our job is to be a preview of heaven to this person. Because we carry heaven with us, we are already there. Look at verse 10, please. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. Just watch out. If you've got kids, they're welcome here. We don't send kids to children's church because we want them out of here. We send them there because we feel like they'll be fed better there than by what happens here. But they're always welcome here. Always. Don't despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. Wait a minute. The angels are walking with them, but they're also in heaven right beside God the whole time. Wow. This is why... Hurting these kids is one of the worst things you could do. Jesus said, it'd been better for you if you'd never been born. God sees their angels, and he sees them. They, uh, it's, it's amazing. The Celts, in other words, might have been a bit pessimistic when they said heaven and earth, physical and spiritual, is only three feet apart. It isn't. It's interwoven. And if you open your eyes, you can see it. I want to talk about that. We're human beings. That limits us by our equipment. Our eyes see at a certain frequency. And that frequency sometimes misleads us. Have you ever seen a car go down the road, or even in a movie, a car moving at a certain speed to where the wheels look like they're going backwards? They're not going backwards. What's, what's going on? Your eye's frequency reads at a certain rate, and that rate is fooling you. What w- I've had peop- people say, you know, I won't believe it until I see it. Oh, that's horrible. That's awful. You're not going to believe the periodic chart of elements. You're not going to believe physics. You're not going to believe the universe because your eye can't see much of it. Your eye is not designed to see except what you need to see to function. But there's something more I want to talk about here. We were made by God. Therefore, we were made special. God says you are worth far more than flowers and birds and animals. And those people that try to make us all the same are wrong. Human beings are special. That said, 
doesn't mean we see everything or know everything. Cammy and I used to have a parrot and help other people with theirs. Long story, I'd love to tell it to you someday because I enjoyed that period of our life immensely. But one thing you learn if you work with birds is that they see what you don't see. They see colors. They see colors coming off of you. They know what part of you is hurting. They know when you're angry. You cannot, have you ever noticed you don't sneak up on birds? You'll see a little boy in the playground. And a bird's just waiting. I got time. And he goes, ah, and the bird's gone. Why? Two different things. One, the bird can see the intentions because of color. They read color. We don't see that spectrum of light. When my wife had some surgery, our parrot worked hard, a little thing, to climb the stairs to get up to her and went immediately to her and knew where she was hurting. And would lean against her and just going, aw. It knew. And here, you need to know this. The parrot actually didn't like her because the parrot was female and Cammie was competition for my affections. But this, she saw the color, this mattered to her. Have you ever watched a bird fly through the trees and wonder, how does it not run into a tree? Because the frequency of their brain and the wiring of their eyes, they don't feel like they're going fast. They got all the time in the world. Think about a fly. You're trying to sneak up on a fly. This thing has a brain. The side, it, it doesn't have a brain, frankly. It, it has a lot of eyes, no brain. Why is it it gets away before you hit it? Because it sees your hand coming like that. Not fast. Its sense of time is different. Our eyes limit what we see sometimes, so we need to open our hearts. We need to open our minds. If you limit yourself to only believing what your eyes can see, you're going to see less and less as you get older. And you will be dooming yourself intellectually. Paul goes so far as to say, there are some things that if you do see them, they're too sacred to speak about. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And I know that this man, he's speaking of himself very elliptically here. Uh, and I, I know this man whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. There were a couple of times in Scripture where something is revealed to somebody in heaven and they want to write it and God says, no, no, not this. The sacred is all around us. If God really wants to talk with us and engage with us, and in the case of Holy Spirit and angels, even walk with us daily, how can, we, how can we make that happen? How can we find that connection that brings us back to the stories in Scripture, which we will look at in great detail, that illustrate the thin places? Some of them are indeed places. Mountains. There are a lot of mountain stories, wilderness stories, rivers, wells, tables. Boats, houses, caves. Others are situations. Holding a newborn baby, watching a saint die, witnessing a baptism, seeing love in action. I can remember when Cammie and I were first married, we saw an old couple holding hands, and we said, oh, aren't they cute? Wouldn't we like to be that? And now we are. 
well, she's cute, I'm along for the ride, but we're still there. It's a holy moment. It's a thin place. There are thin places. Here's, I'm going to leave you with this today. There are thin places that already exist, like these, that we can find God, we can walk God, and I truly believe we can see his emissaries and feel his spirit and listen to him. But we can also make thin places. A few scriptures as we close. Let's start. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. One of the reasons we do not see him as we ought is that we are drawing near to everything but God. We are listening to everything but God. We are filling our lives with noise and with loves that have nothing to do with God. Draw near to God. Come now. Let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they're red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Don't go to God and say, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I cannot. Stop it. He says, come on. Come on. Let's talk. Let's negotiate this. We've got to work with this. Isn't it interesting? Children are born negotiators. One more time. Daddy's tired. Just one more time. All right. One more time. They are going to connect with you somehow. From one man, he made all the nations so that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times and history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him right now, don't, we're not talking about running to God, in him right now, we live, present tense, move, and have our being. As some of your own poets, the pagans, have said, we are his offspring. Would you stand with me, please? Those of you of a dialectical mind and those of you that have really gone into the Descartian universe of the separation of physical and spiritual, which is the majority of us, this is going to be a struggle, but I don't want you to give up. This is so important. The angels are in the room. The Holy Spirit is in the room.